1: on Euro Radio TV and Radio X. If you'd like to send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com on all social media sites, TV, And uh, our main website is www.exxonradiotv.com. Now, if you'd like to find out what other programming we have available for you, 724-365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network, very simple, www.xzbn.net. My guest uh, this hour is Deborah Moffat. She is the experiencer behind the acclaimed novel, A Deadly Haunting. which drew upon the frightening experiences she and her family endured at the hands of Mr. Entity, their unseen tormentor. Vastly intelligent and destructive, this demon wrought havoc in their house and their lives, resulting in a daily battle to maintain their sanity. After 25 years, Deborah decided to tell her story. Detailing what went on in her family's home during the six year period of nightmares in which Mr. Entity plagued them. Deborah's new book, Unwelcomed, is purely non fictional account of what she and her family experienced. And joining me now is Deborah Moffat. Deborah, welcome to the X-Zone. Thank you. My goodness. Ah, uh, can you tell our can you give our listeners who may not have heard you the last time you were with us a little bit about yourself and about Mr. Entity?
3: Well, this all started quite a few years ago. It was back in 1987 when it first started. And it started, it's in Rancho Cucamonga, and it started in the house we were living in with my husband and my mother and father-in-law. And at that time, she had had, before I moved out to California, she had a um, housekeeper from Guatemala taking care of her mother who lived in the next house who had a stroke. And from what we understand from the researchers that uh, uh, investigated, Mm -hmm. this lady practiced some type of santeria. She opened some type of portal, and Mr. Entity found my mother-in-law, who he said he had been looking for for many years. And it all started down at the other house. Um, At first, it started with just little things, like things moving. Uh, Things especially were turned backwards. You'd go into a room, and you'd see things facing you, and then you could turn your head for a second, and you'd look back, and they'd be all backwards. Oh, my gosh. So it started off very non-threatening at first, um, but still it was very frightening what was going on. Um, we were moving at the time anyhow, not, not at the point not to get away from Mr. Entity, mm-hmm. but we were, had planned before even Mr. Entity showed himself to move. So when we moved the last day we were down there, he changed from this, this being that would, would uh, actually perform tricks for you, like you'd go into a room and say, if you're here, move something, and you would move furniture from one room to the next when you turned your back to uh, a being that when we were leaving, ripped off all the cupboards in the kitchen and blew out all the windows in the bedroom on the last day we were there. So it, it turned from, like I said, from someone who was entertaining to then threatening.
1: You know, we've got about a minute before I have to take my first break. How old were you when all this started?
3: I was about 30.
1: My goodness. And how did your parents... And up
3: until that point, never really had anything to do with the paranormal, other than enjoying monster movies and supernatural books. Sure. Other than, which I believed at the time were make-believe, but little did I know they weren't. So up until that time, this was the first experience I ever had with paranormal.
1: All right, please stand by, Deborah. Great having you with us again! Congratulations on your new book, Exonation. Thank you very Our guest much. this hour is Deborah Moffat, and um, two websites: www.dot.adedleyhaunting.dot.com and www.unwelcomedthebook.com. Deborah Moffat tells us more about this real surreal haunting that she was part of for six years. When we return here in the X Zone from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Born, they are the ghosts of Gabe. All around the riddledy room with a rim, dim, 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 sailing away at the break of dawn, they are the ghosts of Gabe. Welcome back, everyone. Deborah Moffat is our special guest. Uh, WWW dot a deadly haunting dot com and WWW dot unwelcome to the book.com. Um you know, you were telling us before the break, Deborah, about how Mr. Entity would, you know, would do tricks, basically do parlor tricks. But when he found out you were leaving, all hell broke loose. Why do you think that that things switched when you and your family were leaving?
3: Well, I, I think because he thought we, he, he had us down there. He was living with us. It was like he had we were under his control and mm-hmm. starting to get under his control. And then we were leaving to a new address, and he felt like we were escaping that's not I, I felt like that's what he thought maybe that we were escaping from him unfortunately it didn't last because we moved up we moved about six miles away up on the hill and within three weeks mr entity started doing things in the new house so we couldn't get away from him it's not like oh. we could move where we went he went
1: Let's go back in time a little bit. How did Mr. Entity present himself to you and your family? What was the catalyst that brought him forward?
3: Uh, the catalyst, was, like I said, she this lady, this housekeeper, mm-hmm. allowed him to come through, open some type of portal. But the story, now one thing you have to understand, if Mr. Entity had the ability to communicate with us on a mirror, on the mirrors in the house. He especially used the bathroom mirror. That's where he communicated. He would use soap. And he would write on the mirror, uh, he would never do it in front of you. you couldn't stand there and he would do it. You had to leave the bathroom or turn your back, and he would write. So he would the story he told me why he was with our the fa- our family mm-hmm. was that centuries ago, like in the 1600s, he had control of a monastery, some of the monks in the monastery, and they promised him a blood sacrifice, a, a sacrifice. And my mother-in-law was the person that they were sacrificing, and they promised her to him. Uh, fortunately, somehow it didn't come to fruition. She escaped and wasn't sacrificed, but he said that didn't matter. He had she had been promised to him, and she belonged to him. So this so was, was in another.
1: So this was in another lifetime of your mother-in-law's.
3: This was in a yeah different lifetime, hmm. but he said he found her, and now he came to claim her.
1: So, when Mr. Entity would write something on the mirrors, uh, how was his penmanship
3: You know it was t- two different ways that's why I really don't know if there were other more than one mm-hmm. thing in the house uh, sometimes he would write, sometimes he would print uh he was always extremely intelligent he could <laughs> he would my mother-in-law was a very intelligent woman also she spoke four different languages she spoke Spanish, italian, a very old dialect that's Albanian called Tobresh. English. Well, sometimes she would, because Mr. Entity would listen constantly to what we said and commented on the mirror. Well, my mother-in-law said she was tired of that. So she started talking to my husband who spoke Tobresh also. Right. And she thought that he wouldn't be able to understand her. Well, Mr. Entity responded on the mirror in Tobresh and answered her. So she tried different languages. So he spoke any language. He spoke all different languages. So he was a very intelligent being.
1: So the only place that he would write these messages was in the washroom, on the washroom mirror?
3: No, bathroom mirror, gas mirror. It started upstairs. My mother and father-in-law, This was. we moved to a very large house. Mm-hmm. And their master their suite was upstairs with a bathroom and, a, and a, a big room upstairs. We had the downstairs master suite. Well, when Mr. Entity came to this house, he went upstairs to, their, to my mother-in-law's. And that's where he first started writing, was on the upstairs bathroom mirror. Uh, it got so dangerous upstairs for my mother in law. He liked to, he constantly tormented her and tried to injure her. Oh, wow. Not that he would, like, take the knife and hurt her, but he would put knives in different locations mm-hmm. so that if she sat or if she laid down or moved quickly, she would hurt herself. Knives all over. So then he started, uh, they woke up one morning and their bed had been sliced to pieces under them. So it got to the point they weren't safe upstairs. So we all moved in together in the master suite downstairs. So that's where for six years, that's where we all lived together.
1: But if you were under this torment, why did you stay there for six years?
3: Because no matter where we went, he went with us. He already moved once with us from the other house. If we even went out to dinner, Mm -hmm. like we'd go out to dinner, we'd come home and the waitress's name tags would be on the kitchen table or something from the restaurant would be on the table showing us that where we went, he went. We couldn't, I mean, it wasn't like we could just move away and he wouldn't follow us. He was attached to my mother-in-law.
1: Now, um, geez, there's so many questions I'd like to ask you. Uh, I I guess my next question is, were there any reports made to professionals, law enforcement, doctors, uh, lawyers?
3: Uh, we, we We ran the gauntlet. We didn't. We personally didn't contact the police. The police contacted us. Um, my mother-in-law was during this time, she was so afraid that people would think we were crazy Mm -hmm. trying to tell them what was going on. So she said, we're not going to tell anybody it'll go away. You know, we'll pray it'll go away. It didn't, but she wouldn't let us tell anyone. She thought they would think we were crazy or making it up. And I could understand in a way, because at that time, it's not like it is now with all the programs and the better understanding of the paranormal. Back then, if these things went on, people did think you were strange, but we still had to have help. Uh, for one of the first things we did, we went to a psychologist. Right. And we explained what was going on, and he talked to each of us in the family, and then he advised that we contact some type of paranormal group. He said he couldn't help us. So then we contacted the USC, Dr. Thelma Moss, She was ill at the time. I believe she sent out an investigator named Terry Gaynor. They couldn't help us. We went through so many different things. We tried the church.
1: Yeah. What did the church Um, say?
3: uh, uh, My mother-in-law was Catholic, Mm -hmm. very Catholic. But since when her mother died, she kind of stopped going to church. So she wasn't really affiliated with any church that she had real contact with. But we we, uh, contacted a local church said, we just moved in the house. We didn't explain what was happening. We said, would he come up and bless the house? Because we thought when he came up to the house, then we'd sit him down and explain what was going on. Sure. He came to the house. He walked in the foyer. Uh, He got this really look on his face like he was really frightened, took out holy water, made a big cross and the sign of a cross in the hall and said to us, all right, your house is blessed. I have to go. And I remember my mother in law grabbed him by the arm and said, Please, no, don't go, you have to listen to us. Please, we have to talk what's going on. And she started to tell him what was going on. And he turned to me and said, Oh, ladies at this age go a little crazy. And he ran out the door and into the car. Oh brother. And that that was the end.
1: Unreal. You go to the church for help and they run like hell.
3: Right, and he just never no so no help in that avenue. Uh, we had the Warrens. Ed and Lorraine Warren came out. Yeah, uh, they tried to help us. This is this was a one thing that happened when he was. They were here. Um, Ed and Lorraine. We were all sitting around in the living room because they were going to. D- he was going to perform the rite of provocation. He told me that would make it show itself. Uh, my father and I, father-in-law and I, were sitting on a couch. My husband and, and they were sitting on a different couch, and Ed started saying the prayer. Mm-hmm. And my father-in-law next to me started to change. Now, I don't mean change into something different, but his mannerism started changing. He just, you looked at him, and you can see it was like a different person. Uh, He kind of, his back kind of slouched forward. He took his one arm and curled it up to his chest. He got up, and he was stooped over, and he started walking towards Ed, dragging his leg. Oh, my gosh. And he said in a voice that wasn't, it was my father-in-law's voice, but it was changed. Mm-hmm. But, you, you know, you could tell it was still my father-in-law's voice, but it was different. And he went right up to Ed Warren, right straight face-to-face face and said, and looked at him, and Ed, Ed got kind of frightened. And Ed grabbed this, he had a piece of cross, he said was from the cross. He said it was a, a holy relic, and it protected him. And he took it and put it in my father-in-law's face and said, I have this, and you can't harm me. And I remember my father-in-law looked at him and said, I'm going to bite your hand off and chew your hand in that cross and spit it in your face. And then he slowly turned around and dragged his leg and walked back to the couch. And then he just kind of collapsed and went back to dead.
1: Oh, my God. So for six years, you were terrorized, basically, and nobody could do anything about it?
3: We had. uh, It's it's not from our want of trying. Yeah, I understand We tried everything. We went to... It got to a point where there was even no one to try. We would go to psychic fairs mm-hmm. asking people if they know people to get rid of this. We had Wiccans come to the house, magicians. We had uh, um, all kinds of people try to get rid of it. C- couldn't go. It wouldn't go. We had one lady that came. Her name was Dr. Evelyn Paglini. Uh, I don't know if you know her. but Yes, she, I do. Yeah, she originally helped start the Church of Satan in mm-hmm. Chicago. Yep. With Anton Levay, and they they kind of she explained the whole thing to us, and she kind of changed and had a different philosophy in life. She was she came to try to help us. Um, Mister Entity hated her. He would say terrible things about her on the mirror. But she tried to get rid of him. She couldn't get rid of him, and she advised us. She here's what she told us to do. She said, "I suggest to save your mother-in-law's life. You take one room upstairs and you dedicate it to Mister." To this, She called it a deity, or and, or she thought, she thought it was one of the seven princes of hell. That's who she thought it was. She said, it's too powerful. I can't get rid of it. She said, I don't know if you're ever going to be able to get rid of it. So she said, dedicate a room to him, pay him homage, and he may actually help your family. Treat him, and treat him I mean, like we it. all got them and said, no, yeah. we're not going to pay homage to a demon or whatever he is, because we never really know what he was. I don't know. That's right. I said, but we're, we're not paying homage to anything.
1: And if you pay so homage she, to him, it just gives him that much more strength.
3: Yeah. yeah. Well, we weren't going to. So yeah. she said, well, I can't help you. So she couldn't, she couldn't do anything. Um, then a very strange thing happened like two or three days after she came. Mm-hmm. my We were all living in the back bedroom. Uh, My mother and father-in-law were in one bed. My husband and I were in another bed on the other part of the room. And my father-in-law, like 3 o'clock in the morning, jumped out of bed. And I remember we ran over, and he pulled out from the covers a – it looked like a spearhead, like the top of a spear. And it's it's all hand-forged. It's like gray. It has some designs on it. And I went to the bathroom in the hall to talk to Mr. Entity because as soon as I saw that, I took, I took it. And I said, this is now mine because if I took possession of anything, Mr. Entity wouldn't touch it. He just wouldn't touch my things. So I went to the bathroom. I said, this is now mine, Mr. Entity. And what, what do you want, what is, why did you bring this? He said, I want a blood sacrifice. And he wrote on the mirror step by step how he wanted this blood sacrifice to happen. He wanted my father-in-law to use the spear on my mother-in-law.
1: Listen, did you take any photographs of the writing of, of these messages? That I, I have,
3: like, over 300 photographs. My gosh. These are, like, from, from, like, 25, 27 years ago. So some of the photographs aren't great because it wasn't like the digital cameras yeah. now where you take a picture and you look and say, oh, that's not good. I better take another one. <laughs> you just took a picture and hope when it developed you Exactly,
1: exactly. So, Listen, stand I mean, by. And they have, they De-
3: even have the dates on them. And De- I have the. the um, Deborah. The negative,
1: so Deborah, we've got to take our our break here for the news. Please stand by. Exxonation Deborah Moffat is our special guest, and Deborah and I will be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. Don't go away. Oh. the voice said, my name's Johnny, and it might be... Exonation, Nation, uh, Deborah Moffat is our special guest. We're talking to Deborah tonight about uh, her two books that are out, uh, two, two hair-raising books, I might add. A Deadly Haunting, her website is www.adeadlyhaunting.com, and Unwelcome to the Book at www.unwelcome to the book. Deborah um, were there any children in the house at the time when Mr. Entity was terrorized? Yes,
3: um... My son was like six months old when we moved up to the new house,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and then in ninety, my twins were born. A okay. matter of fact, Mister Entity told me I was having twins before the doctor did.
1: What was his relationship with your children?
3: None. We kept. <laughs> we had someone was with my children twenty four hours a day. They were never out of anyone's sight. Hmm. I, I, you just, I couldn't put them in one room and leave. They had. We had to be completely. Watched. So, Mr. Entity didn't touch the children. He told me after one time when he went after my mother-in-law and grabbed her by the throat. Now, you know it's very strange because this was a, a an entity that had such powers. It was he would take the truck we had. My father-in-law had a truck, mm-hmm. and he would pick it up, block not running, and put it in the middle of the road. He could he had the power to do that. He would apport things from house to house from. From a store he would apport things to our house. He could apport things. He had enormous strength. He he would make the house tremble. He would blow out all the windows when he got mad in the upstairs. So he had enormous strength. So if he really wanted if he had the the ability to kill my mother in law who he wanted dead, he could have killed her any time. But I don't think they're they have they're not allowed to because he wanted her to even co- to commit suicide or have my father in law kill her where he could have killed her any time he really wanted to, but he couldn't. So he, he one time he did grab her by the throat and mm-hmm. scared her half to death, and I went into the, to the bathroom, and this is when things start, actually started to change a little bit. And I told him he was never to do that again, and that I would treat him with respect, and he would treat me with respect. He wouldn't touch my child, he wouldn't touch my husband, and he wouldn't touch Lee. That's when he told me, Lee belongs to me. But he never bothered my husband. He never touched the children. He just concentrated on Lee.
1: And that's your mother-in-law, right? Right. Uh, did you, uh, prior to you living in the house, either house, was there any any paranormal activity that had been reported or talked about?
3: Uh, not that I know of. There was just one family that owned this house mm-hmm. before we did. Uh, and they were a nice couple. Nothing, nothing that I know ever happened. Just like down at the other house that we lived in, where Mr. Entity was before. Right. No, so no, Mr. Entity. What started when Mr. Entity came
1: after you left that house and Mr. Entity followed you to your other house? Was there any? Mm-hmm. Was there any? Uh, was there any paranormal activity that was reported by the new tenants or the new owners?
3: The new owners tore all the houses down. There was three houses. We owned three houses. It was my husband's house, my mother and father-in-law's house, which we lived in, and we rented out the other two, and their their mother's house. So we rented out the two houses, and then when we sold, we sold everything, the whole three houses and all the property. And they tore down the houses, and this is in a very prime location. This is right right on Archibald Avenue, which is a very, you know, it's a thoroughfare with a lot of things on it. And do you know to this day that land stands vacant? It's completely vacant with all dead weeds and things on it for thirty years for a long time, they had big signs for sale, mm-hmm. so many acres, but now they don't even put signs up why not i don't I really don't know, but for thirty years in this prime location, no one has built anything on it or or I don't know no. it's just huh. it's just barren, empty lots.
1: Why did it take you so long to write your book?
3: Because we, had, when the people came, we had so many different people came. Mm-hmm. Um, one would come, they would say, listen, document everything that's going on in your house. Take pictures. So we'd document everything, we'd take pictures. They couldn't help us. So the next person would come and they would say, now get rid of all these pictures and stop paying attention to this. You're making it stay. So we'd throw away all the pictures. We'd throw away all the documentation. It was like a roller coaster. One would say to do it. The next one would say to not to do it. Luckily, my husband, he would take some of the pictures and he threw them in a box. He didn't save them all because we must took a 1,000 pictures. But he did save like 300 pictures. But he'd take some and throw them in the box, and then we'd throw the rest of them away. So that my husband, we decided when this left, we made a pact, the three of us, we would never talk about Mr. Entity again, because they had, everybody had told us, if you talk about it, you're going to bring it back. We never even talked about it among ourselves. We just let it go. When my, father, when my mother-in-law died, she died in 2010, and my husband said, you know, we really should write a book about this and let people know what happened. Well, he was, always had that in his mind, but he died in 2012. And in 2012, I was cleaning out the closet, and I found the box with all the pictures, and when I found the box, I had never even told my children what had happened. So when I found the box of pictures, my daughter was with me and she said, what is this? Mm-hmm. So I had explained, we, I sat everybody down and I explained the whole thing to them. And then I got thinking, you know, this is the time I really would like to tell people what happened because it was the most amazing thing. It, this This entity was amazing. He was evil. He was ancient. He was intelligent. But he was amazing and to be able to, to to see things be apported, to talk to something that you can't see in a mirror he used to tell me things about the past different historical people that he had known he told me things about the future the present that we were living in he would tell me when someone was coming to the door who it was going to be he told me amazing things but here's how it started i noticed that if i he he just destroy, literally destroyed our house it was an everyday battle to patch walls, to fix rugs, because he had, he had this one sign that was his sign. It was like a triangle, mm-hmm. and then at the bottom of the triangle, there was a swirly tail. Now, I don't know if that's his sign or what the sign means, but he put that sign everywhere. And then he had other kinds of signs, squiggly lines, all different kinds of different look like magical symbols. And he put them everywhere in the house. Well, I noticed that if I talked to him on the mirror, he would stop destroying things as much and he'd leave my mother-in-law alone because he made her life miserable he would cut up her clothes he, she couldn't have money on her he would i mean she'd be sitting in a chair and if she was alone all of a sudden you could see a potato come across a raw potato come across the room and hit her in the head it was a constant torment so i found that if i communicated with him on the mirror and i made him talk a lot he would use his energy to communicate because he loved to talk And he would communicate, and when he communicated, the destruction in the house slowed down. My mother-in-law wasn't affected as much. So I just talked to him, and it wasn't talking a little bit. Mr. Entity talked and did things, the strange things he did, morning, noon, and night. It didn't have to be the night when he did things. And we would talk all the time, and if I kept him talking, the destruction calmed down.
1: So... Your your mother-in-law passed away, your father-in-law passed away, and your husband's passed away, am I correct? Right. And Mr. Entity is no longer in the picture.
3: Mr. Entity said goodbye in the ni- early 1990s. He said goodbye, my family, mm-hmm. and he left. I told him he couldn't come back. He had to leave. And... He didn't want to go, this is what was so strange. You know, you, you hear about demons and you see these movies with demons and there, are these crazy, horrible things like they don't have any type of intelligence. Mm-hmm. But here was an entity. There was a gentleman who was a researcher who came to our house. And he was kind of down and out and he was kind of miserable. And he saw the power that Mr. Entity had. And he also heard that Dr. Paglini said, well, if you you know pay this demon, what she thought was a demon, homage, he'll do good things for you. So he got it in his head that he was going to ask this demon to leave with him and come and help him in his life. I told him, it's a, you, you know, I mean, that's up to you, but it's a stupid thing to do. He's not going to help you. Right. Because he hated the guy to begin with. He would do terrible things to the gentleman when he was here. Uh, and so this person went in and talked to the mayor and told him he could come with him, wanted him to come with him. So the next day I went in to Mr. Entity and I said, Mr. Entity, it's time for you to leave now. This gentleman asked you to go with him. You have a place to go. You have to go. And he said, I don't want to go. I want to stay here. I said, no, you have to go. Go with Gary. Why don't you want to go with Gary? And he listed. He said, Gary has no integrity. He has no honor. He's an empty vessel. And I, I think about things like that, and I think, why would a demon care if someone was a, an empty vessel and had mm. no integrity? So there's so many strange things about Mister Entity, that I'll probably never really understand.
1: Strange, very strange. What you know? What I'm having a bit of a problem with, with the with the book that is has been is you know the books have been written after the entity has departed, and so have the other three witnesses. So how do you mm-hmm. deal with skepticism when somebody says, how can you collaborate your story?
3: You know what? I had uh, a gentleman come and research it, mm-hmm. and we had people that came to the house. We had Brian Hurst. He's still alive. The gentleman went and talked to Brian. Mm-hmm. All different people, researchers that came to the house, people can still contact, and they'll tell you what happened.
1: But did, they, did these researchers actually see any activity or any actions you know do you
3: know a couple of the women did i don't even remember who their names were because mr entity was having when they came he did all Mm -hmm. kinds of things to scare them but actually mr entity when people came he would kind of back off a little he would just kind of quietly watch them but gary who's still alive unfortunately he's not quite right. He mm-hmm. he witnessed it all. He witnessed the writing. He witnessed everything. Mr. Entity used to attack him. He used to cut up his clothes. One time, Gary's sitting at the kitchen table, and we heard, like, scissors cutting. Mm-hmm. And Gary reached up to his hair, and Mr. Entity was cutting his hair, and all his hair from the back of his head was cut off and on the ground.
1: With all the pictures you've taken, mm-hmm. are any of the pictures of the Entity having these scissors being... How I have. Let's see.
3: I'm trying to think. I have. I have one picture I caught because usually things happen when you weren't right there. I do have one picture where mm-hmm. I caught the bed twirling in the air when I came into the room. Right. I caught that on camera. Uh, other than that, one thing that is very very strange that I didn't even realize until I was looking through the pictures. Mr. Entity wrote after we they moved from upstairs, downstairs, he always wrote in the bathroom mirror. And in this one picture, when I went to look at the, the mirror, I would always look at the writing because that's what you wanted to know, what he said. Mm-hmm. And I looked at this one picture, and you can actually see the, a reflection of our kitchen instead of the bathroom in the mirror. That is a, that's amazing because here it is, the bathroom mirror, and you can see the writing on the mirror. Mm-hmm but you're seeing the kitchen in the reflection. It's just, I can't even explain that.
1: You and I have to take our final break. Please stand by. Exonation. Debbie, Deborah Moffitt is our special guest. A Adeadlyhaunting.com and thebook.com And we'll both be back on the other side of this break as we wrap up this hour here in the zone from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Visions of the things to be, the pains that are withheld for me. I realize and I can't see
4: that suicide
1: is painless, it brings on. Hi everyone, Rob McConnell here, and I wanted to spend a moment on internet streaming. Everybody has heard about internet streaming, but not many know much about it. Did you know the internet streams just about everything? Movies, from new releases to old classics. TV shows, almost every show, every episode, and much more. But the question has always been, how do you do it? Well now, thanks to the folks at 123ReadyTV, I have the answer for you. They have developed a simple program app, 123 Ready TV, that you install on your Windows PC, Android smartphone, or Android tablet that can have you streaming like a pro in less than five minutes. You truly won't believe how much is available or how easy it is to do until you try. And for a one-time cost of only $19.99, this product is a real winner. To learn more about 123 Ready TV, visit our website at www. Four zero one zero zero eight zero 401 80 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere.
5: 24-7-365 True healing must address four levels
1: Uh, Debbie Deborah Moffat is our special guest this hour www.deadlyhaunting.com and www.unwelcomedthebook.com How do you deal with skepticism because there there seems to be a few open edges here for example the fact that the book has only been written after the participants besides yourself who can who can validate the claims are dead there's only one other person who has actually seen any of the paranormal activity and he is uh, not well to put it nicely paranormal researchers have gone there and not one paranormal research has seen this entity i take
3: that back there were two that came two native american indians from los Angeles came and they did see this is the time Mr. Entity showed itself in the attic. Uh, they went in. I was with them. The, they, he, he had like a sage. Mm-hmm. He did some kind of a chanting. He said, we're going to force him to show himself. And that's when it took the, the pink insulation on the walls and formed into a big head with the horn on the side. They were there. They saw that.
1: And did anybody take a picture of that?
3: No. No. They were they were, they were doing their ritual. We were more. The most important thing was was for us was to get rid of it. You know, we just wanted mm-hmm. it to go. And you know, I can understand if people don't believe it because the truth is, if somebody told me this story and I didn't live it, mm-hmm. I'd be skeptic too. But I lived it. I know what happened. And as a matter of fact, when I talked about this to my children, I said, "Should I tell people everything that happened?" I said, "Because so much happened." should I tell it? And all, or just kind of just tell a few things. They said, just tell it the truth, tell it the way it is. And I just, that's all I do. I just tell you what I lived.
1: Why did you write your book?
3: I wrote it. It was, I think I was even very excited to write it because it had been hidden for so long. I had been, I found this fascinating as well as terrifying. And I just wanted to tell people about this and to finally get the opportunity to tell after I found the pictures to show the Mm -hmm. pictures too, to tell the story was, it was just like a release. It was like, I wanted to just grab people and say, sit down, you got to hear what happened. Because it was just so long that I couldn't tell anybody.
1: You couldn't, or you didn't want to. There's a big difference there.
3: Well, let's say, no, I couldn't. While my mother-in-law was alive, I couldn't. Why? For, For one reason. How was I to know that by really talking about this, we have gone through hell. Mm-hmm. How did I know I couldn't say for sure that us talking about it and generating it at the time, because she was alive, that it wouldn't bring it back to her and harm her.
1: But let me ask you this. You may not have talked about it, but didn't you bring paranormal investigators into the house to try and try and no, exercise the this this, talking wait a about sec- when
3: Mr. Entity left we stopped talking about it? But the, he left. Once once Mr. Entity left, we completely stopped talking about it.
1: But the damage had been done. Why not come clean back
3: then? We just we just stopped and we just stopped talking about it. We didn't let anybody know what happened after other than the investigators. And it went away, never came back. But we couldn't talk about it because my mother in law was sure that if we brought it up and talked about it, it would come back and get her. So we just didn't talk about it.
1: But what about the investigators that had been there? I'm sure they might. If if they were there, they did an investigation. It might. It would have been logged somewhere. You mean no member of the media picked this story up and went with it?
3: No media. No. And Dr. Berglini brought a film producer here. Mm-hmm. She wanted to make a uh, a film about it, and we said no.
1: Wow. So you're writing. What's the difference between your first book and your second book?
3: The first book, someone else wrote. I gave them the notes and everything mm-hmm. that I did about it. And it's, it, it elaborates a little bit in certain spots that aren't true. It's like 99%, 95% true and then some elaboration. The new book, I just told the story the way I remember it. And also, I put in like over 100 pictures so people could see the pictures. Because that's what I wanted people to see. I wanted people to say, look, this is what it did. These are the things it did. And this is the writing. Mm-hmm. So I wanted people to see that.
1: There's There are many similarities with your story and the story told by Andrea Perron, the author of The Conjuring. And she, too, is rewriting the entire story based... Uh, she's writing it herself instead of using a ghostwriter like she did in the first book. hmm The similarities are uncanny. She, too, had the Warren family. They, too, had an entity. You know, it's... There's a lot of questions here.
3: Sure, I understand that. All I can do is tell tell people what happened. I can tell them what I lived.
1: Mm-hmm. What is the general can, what is the general reception of people that you tell your story to?
3: Um most people are very nice about it. You know, they don't look at me and say, mm-hmm. "Oh, you're making that up." Um sure. uh, the my friends that know me know it's the truth. How do they know it's they know the, know the truth? Wasn't... But in and from from reviews on books and things The majority of people, you know, believe it because it's the truth. I can't, you know, I can only say what happened. There's no way I can really prove it. I lived it. Some of the investigators came. Gary, Gary definitely could prove it. He could back up what I say. Mm -hmm. Brian Hurst knows about it. Some other people know about it. But like you said, and that's the truth. I, I lived it. I know every little thing that happened that other people don't know. And it's how can I prove it? I can just tell you what happened. Well, the
1: proof would have been at the time of these things happening by bringing in paranormal investigators who would have been able to do a proper investigation and document evidence of the occurrences. That would have been proof. But from what I'm gathering, there was no proof ever ascertained during their investigations. N- nobody saw any of the teleportation. Nobody saw any of the, of the, um, the, uh, the bed moving or the. The changing of the furniture or whatever—that no, is no, that's true. Yeah,
3: I understand. I understand what you're saying. It is true because when pe- people came to investigate, it would just back off. It was like I'm not even here. I'm just watching, and then they'd leave, and he'd comment on them. What would he say? He would say he'd tell us that we were fools. We weren't gonna we weren't gonna be able to escape, and then we had uh, uh, Chris Chacon come. He had machines that was documenting things. Mm-hmm. And I remember when he was leaving, he sa- I said to him, Well, what is it? And he said, Well, there's things in this world you're never going to understand, and this is one of them. And then when he left, Mr. Entity wrote on the, 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 the mirror, The machine didn't detect me. He's a fool.
1: Was the handwriting ever analyzed?
3: No, that is, this was back in the, 18, the early 1990s and late 18, 1987. Mm-hmm. This, it, things were different back then than they are now. There weren't. I, we couldn't even find people to help us. And it yet, wasn't like now, where there's everybody you can get to come and find out what's going on. And, at your house. And,
1: and yet, back in the '90s, you had Dr. Hans Holzer, who was available and doing research. He was the father of parapsychology. He was making himself available for investigations. He also co-hosted a number of the segments of. Uh, in search of with Leonard Nimoy, you had Lloyd Auerbach uh, from uh, one of the universities who was making himself available. Duke yeah, University Lloyd, I, we had did a contact parano-
3: Lloyd. He's the one that cre- sent out Chris Chacon.
1: Uh, Lloyd himself didn't go?
3: No, he sent out Chris Chacon.
1: That's strange for Lloyd. Yeah, but so I like, you know, it's, 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 there seems to be, it's a great story. It's a great story. But without any proof, that's all it is, is a story, even though you lived it. You know, the fact that it took so long for the book to come out, the fact that you didn't write the first book, you know, was it penned under your name?
3: No, no. It was penned under a a lady, Joey, Joey Albrecht.
1: So she was the author of the book?
3: She was the author of the book. But it was a nonfiction. it was just... I just, we told her, she, she said she worked for, matter of fact, she had worked for Disney for a while. She said, if we tell this story and we don't make it a nonfiction, people are going to have a hard time understanding it. I have to put it in the nonfiction form so that people can understand it better. So I didn't know anything. I said, that's fine. Mm-hmm. So after she did that, you know, it was fine. But then I thought, you know, I want people to know exactly what happened. Because mostly I wanted them to see the pictures. So when I started writing, I just wrote another book. Exactly what happened that right. I remembered it.
1: So why wouldn't the pictures been included in the first book?
3: Because because it cost too much money to put them in the first book. She said, she said it wouldn't be advantage. It wouldn't be an advantage to put all the pictures in the first book.
1: Wow. Hey, listen. Uh, I all I can say is uh, good luck. Um, I, you know, I, I find. Uh, There to be information missing that would certainly add to the credibility of the stories, but I want to thank you so much for joining us, Deb. I wish you continued uh, happy haunting at Exxon Nation. You be the judge. There are so many holes in this story, more holes than there are in a piece of Swiss cheese in Billy Meyer's refrigerator in Switzerland. And like I said... It mirrors the Andrea Perrin story about The Conjuring, especially since there was an entity, there was a family, uh, you've got the Warrens involved. Ah. And the big question, why were the pictures not included in the first book? I'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exxon from our. Broadcast Center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Ask me if I believe the story, Craig. Never mind. I'll save you. Uh, I'll save you the question. No, I don't. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away.